Hello to all of you listening to this message that is being given on August the 5th of 2014 on Tuesday at approximately 3.38 in the afternoon. My name is David Thompson, and I am here to share what the Holy Spirit is wanting to say to me as an individual and to the body of Christ. And so I am seeking to speak as the oracles of God, to speak out of the spirit of prophecy, the word of God. And in that pursuit, I have cast lots and been led today to John chapter 11. So the first thing I will do is read John chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which was, which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there twelve hours in a day? If a man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Albeit spake Jesus of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didmus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furloins off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. 
Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have ye laid him? Thence they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold, now he, behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin, Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Maria, Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and Pharisees a council and said, What do we for this man doeth many miracles? If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them named Caphias, 
being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together to put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence unto a country near to the wilderness into the city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. The Jews' Passover was nigh at hand. And many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple. What think ye, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. In this passage of John chapter 11, in the first four verses, I want to point out some important things. First of all, the Mary of Latin. Mary was the sister of Lazarus, and so was Martha. And it says here in verse 2 that this was the Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. We are all very familiar with this account of Mary breaking the alabaster box at the feet of Jesus. And out of that coming a beautiful perfume. And we know that Christ said in regards to her and the other woman that wiped his feet with the tears of her hair. In that case, the one that wiped with the tears of her hair because she was forgiven much, she loved the Lord much. And in this case with Mary, we see the same love. There's a song I know that goes like this. Thy love is as ointment poured forth, which comes from the Song of Solomon. And the things that are precious in our heart we contain in a very special container. They are special to us, and we tend to form a shell around it. It's only natural to want to preserve things that are dear and precious unto ourselves, even with a thankful heart unto God. But in the case of Mary, her heart was broken with love, for the Lord, when she recognized the greatness of God's mercy to her, to forgive her, and the other woman as well, to forgive hers. And she poured out her life's ointment that took her an, probably a whole year of her wealth. She poured it out, broke it at his feet in love for him. 
And so we have this song that goes somewhat like this. Thy name is this ointment poured forth. O Jesus, O Jesus, thy name is this ointment poured forth. Thy name is this ointment poured forth. And it's when we see the name of the Lord in his fullness, which is the expression of the very being of who he is, in his utter purity of holiness, that will not tolerate the slightest of sin, and yet is filled with such love out of that integrity of love that is transcendent to provide mercy and out of that mercy to issue forth in great favor or grace so that there is not only the mercy that is received through the atoning work of Christ and forgiveness, but there is the favor of his presence that imbues our very being with communion and fellowship with God, with comfort in his spirit. But here is this very same Mary that had such a passionate love for God. And she finds herself, after she sacrificed something so dear and precious to her out of her expression of love to God, receiving a trial of something very dear and precious in her life, which was her brother, that no doubt she thought would never die for a long time, suddenly having his life taken, and it broke her heart. She of her own volition poured out her heart in love unto God, in the breaking of what was precious in her life. And she could easily have asked, why would I receive in return something that would break my heart even more? and would seem to be an injustice from God that would, should have responded because of my gratitude and love with a blessing of health in my life and in Lazarus' life or whatever the perception of goodness or expectation of goodness might have been. But we know that the word of God says that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. And we see in the life of the patriarchs the same pattern as we see here in Mary. For example, in the life of Abraham. He went through great trials and testings of his faith, desiring to see the promise of God fulfilled in a son that God promised him. And here he is, 99 years old, and God hasn't provided that. And yet here he is, totally devoted in love and gratitude and reverence before God, spending much time in his face before God in prayer. Yes, and he attempts 
because it seems that God hasn't come on the scene. He begins to think, maybe I am supposed to be more practical. And he tries to fulfill God's promise through Hagar and gets Ishmael. So he initiated something that God did not initiate. It was his own presumption. But going through that trial, nevertheless, he came to the place where Isaac was brought forth when he learned to be in that place of utter trust and recognized his own failure out of initiating what he thought would fulfill God's promise. He got 13 years of trouble with Ishmael. So here he comes through all of this and he has Isaac. And yet, after receiving this wonderful gift from God, even as Martha poured out her precious gift to the Lord, Abraham is asked to offer up what God blessed him with after he went through a trial of great dying to self where it seemed like God wasn't coming through. And he was sacrificial in those times as Martha was in that alabaster box being poured out with the perfume of worship in the midst of that suffering. And yet even after bringing forth out of that suffering Isaac, God asks Abraham to offer Isaac on the altar. And Abraham has such a relationship of belief in God that he believes that God can even raise Isaac from the dead and is about to put the knife into Isaac. As we all know the story, the angel of the Lord, which is the Lord himself, Christ the Messiah, calls out and says, now, and he says this, hold back, Abraham, for now I know that you fear me. Abraham had come to the place of almost total perfection in the fear of God in this act. What is the fear of God? The fear of God is coming to the place of recognizing, not just with our intellects, but with our whole being, the utter awesomeness and beauty, the utter integrity and ultimate trustworthiness of the being of God's love in holiness or in a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. There's another way to describe it. And recognized out of that also the greatness of God's mercy that he could be forgiven, that he could receive love, that he could receive forgiveness. And he came to the point where he had such a focus of his whole being and trust unto God out of recognizing through that choice to fear God, which brings one to see God in the ultimate perfection of his being of love is ultimately trustworthy. To have that response of total trust in who God is to the point that it is lived out in his life to the offering of his son Isaac. Yes, and that's why the angel of the Lord said, now I know that thou fearest God. And so out of that, we saw that Isaac was spared, which is a type of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there are many believers that have gone through trials and have had a deep and a close love relationship with God. Like Marth, like Mary, like Abraham, or like Joseph, for example. It says concerning Joseph, 
until as word came, the word of the Lord tried him. Or Hannah that brought forth Samuel, she's in complete barrenness. But there came a point where there was breakthrough. And God is calling us into a relationship with him where we know such a trust in him and a consciousness of completeness in him, which is the revelation of his love that drives away all fear, that drives away what is the essence of fear, which is the consciousness of loss in relation to self. And we begin to have a consciousness of ourself being fully complete in the love of God. that is exercised out in all that we do in our lives. This is a relationship of being conformed to the likeness of the death of Christ on the cross. This is God's goal and purpose, is that we come into this same union that Jesus Christ had and has being God with the Father, which is clearly described in detail in John 17. So Joseph also was a man that lived a very sacrificial and righteous life unto God and yet seemingly received the opposite for his obedience in great trials. He refused to fall prey to the temptation of Potiphar's wife and yet was rewarded prison for that. But that greater death experience, because he persevered through it and did not say, become bitter at God and say, if God, you're this way and this is how you treat me after I've been so, so obedient to you. I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. I'm going to be bitter and forget and not believe in you and be offended. No, until his word came, the word of the Lord tried Joseph and he persevered and there came the place of breakthrough, of resurrection. And in this case, in John chapter 11, we see that God's purpose in allowing these things to happen is for the glory of God, that God may be glorified through our lives in the breakthrough through our perseverance. Oh, it will break our heart. There will be times where we just feel so broken and weak before God that we have to be put through all of these terrible things like Hannah. We can hardly speak. We can hardly say words. And she seemed drunk to the high priest. But she was filled with birth pangs of desire to see the glory of God brought forth through her trial. And she continued to believe that God would give her a son. And she pursued it, asking the priest to pray for her, but being misunderstood. Let us, brothers and sisters, learn to have the faith of Abraham, the face of faith of Joseph. And yes, in our weaknesses, we may tend to shrink back like Mary, but we can bring our weaknesses to the throne of grace in the time of need and find strength that we do not waver in our faith, 
but continue to persevere to breakthrough. As we continue on in this passage in John chapter 11, we read that Christ deliberately stayed back from returning to Lazarus because he wanted to see this glory of God come forth, which could not happen unless there was a great and total evidence that it could not be anything of man's doing. And it would certainly not be of man to be able to raise someone like Lazarus from the dead. Even historically, as we look in the world now, it is getting darker and darker. And it seems like there's nothing that man can do. For example, the terrible, multi, terrible evil of fanatic Islam that is causing so much torture and death and tragedy around the world. But God is creating out of a very black background, which is forming in the world, a setting for his glory to come onto the scene that will be contrasted by the great darkness with great brightness that will cause the darkness out of that contrast to be swallowed up by the kingdom of God, which is as a stone being cut out without hands that fills the whole earth with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, as it says in Isaiah. In this passage of scripture here, there is an interesting statement in regards to Christ disposing to his disciples the fact that Lazarus is in fact dead. And so he says in verse 14, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye might believe, nevertheless let us go unto him. God's purpose through events that seem impossible that he allows in our life is when there is that breakthrough to bring many others into the kingdom of God. The word believe again means moral persuasion, to be brought to the place of persuasion in their being, the results in their belief being carried out with confession and a life that steps out in the direction of possession. But there is such a tendency in human nature as there is here in verse 16 with Thomas. All he can think of, they're worried about going back to Judea where Lazarus is because they know the Jews are trying to kill Christ and kill them. And so they're concerned about that. But Christ makes an interesting statement here in regards to that back in verse 9. Jesus answered and said, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. What is Christ saying here? There is more than just what he's basically saying is this. Well, if you 
know what you're doing. You can, if you're walking in light, you can, you can see where the enemy is and you can evade him. You don't have to be concerned. You're not going to run into the enemy if you can see where he is. But he's speaking a deeper spiritual truth here. He's saying that what causes a person to stumble and not come through is because the light is not being received into them. A person can have physical eyes, but if the op optic nerve is not attached, the light is not entering into their body so that they can know what to do in order to evade a stumbling block. Or in this case, their concern about being caught and captured by the enemy. Christ is saying that we, in our lives, when we are facing circumstances that are threatening to us, need to be conscious of our receptivity before God and our heart of his presence, of his light, that brings us the consciousness of knowing that we are walking with him and experiencing his leading and direction in our lives because we are not allowing the light that is in us to be cut off by the hardness of heart, by becoming bitter, as it were, as others have, such as Cain and others, when God has allowed the trials, which are the consequences of God's holiness, because of man's rebellion, it results in man being cut off with the reverberations of destructive effects in the whole creation. We see it in death and in many things. But we need to recognize that it is not God that is the author of death. He is always the author of life. And when he is allowing a circumstance that would seem to be just natural from the tragedies of this world, which are a result of the original rebellion of Satan and of man, we can begin to think in a natural way but God's saying, be receptive to the light and let the light enter your being so that in everything you do, you're conscious that he is with you and not conscious of a fear of loss or a fear of death, which is basically what the fear, negative fear is that is not the fear of God. The counterfeit fear of God is of a God that is holy and demanding and does not see the goodness of God. It is the same fear of death that does not have the consciousness of God's love that casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. In this passage of scripture, we see tragedies. And I even had someone call me today sharing with me the terrible trials that they're going through financially, physical pain, oppression, no hope of any answer seeming to come through financially. And I could feel hurt in my heart for them. And I prayed with them. And I encouraged them. And isn't it amazing that after me praying with them, just a little while later, I get into the word of God and I receive this passage, which no doubt is to encourage people such as them and possibly also them. God wants us to know that in our barrenness, he is with us. And it says and mentions all about this in Isaiah 54. In fact, 
I will go and turn to Isaiah 54 and just read briefly a few things that it says in that passage in regards to this. Isaiah chapter 54. Just going there now. It says this single barren, thou that didst not break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the plates of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. Speaking of loss, speaking of the trial such as Hannah went through, and it says this, For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and as a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would no more be wroth with thee nor rebuke thee. And he goes on and on. I guess I'll read it. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. O thou afflicted, Tossed with tempests and not comforted. Behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors and lay thy foundations with sapphires. And I will make thy windows of agates and thy gates of carnabuncles and all thy borders of pleasant stones. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. I don't want to go on reading for time, but it's a wonderful passage of Scripture. So we'll go back to John chapter 11. God is wanting to comfort and encourage his people that the time is coming now that many of us that have been in the place of trial and testing in our lives, as we persevere and it gets the darkest before the dawn, there's going to be the dawning of his resurrection. I could go on and continue to read this passage of scripture where it says, where Christ says to Martha,
Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So though you feel like you're dead because of your circumstances, or in Lazarus' case, you're literally dead. He's saying, you shall live. There's a future tense here. There's a time where there will be breakthrough. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me, it says in the next verse, shall never die. Believest thou this? So we that are persuaded, which is what the word belief means, we that are persuaded to put our life in trust into Christ, that have that moral persuasion with our life, a belief from the heart, says here, we'll never die. Even non-believers describing the discoveries in particle physics, which I have on my website at ultimatemeaning.com, are fully convinced from the very strong evidence from particle physics and the mathematical language that strongly is verified, the reality of other realms of existence that are even more real than this physical realm, that are in more than one dimension, possibly 10 or more, are convinced that when a person's physical body dies, that all it is is the shedding of one dimension to be in another hardly noticeable except for the brief severe period of pain and of course we have many accounts of people that have died and they didn't even believe they're out of their physical body they, they they could hardly believe it they didn't even realize there was a transition that had happened at first until they began to notice certain things that were more clear and so on and that you could see in a multi-dimensional way and so on i'm not going to go into that but when we have a relationship with Christ, even if our physical body is shed, it's as if we've really never died because we're still, death is separation from the life of God. And when we believe in him, if our physical body experiences the consequences of death, we're still not separated from the life of God. We've just transitioned into a dimension that's far superior and more real than the physical dimension to be, as Paul said, that he preferred to be with the Lord, which was far better, but for their sakes, he desired to be with the believers and serve them. But Christ goes on in this passage and he points out, and Martha says, I, you know, she doesn't know what to make of what Christ is saying. So she says, I believe that thou art the Christ, the son of God, which should come into the world. Wonderful faith in her. She goes her way to call Mary. And of course, Mary comes and the Jews follow her and she's weeping and, and Mary's weeping and she makes this statement. She falls down at his feet. So this is the very Mary that fell down at his feet and broke the alabaster box. And here again, she is falling down at his feet and she's saying, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. They don't understand why you're allowing these things in my life. 
Because you have the power. You have the power to heal him. I know that. And she's weeping. And even God himself, Jesus, begins to weep as he sees her weeping and the Jews weeping with her and he groans in the spirit in his trouble. He's identified with our affliction and our sufferings and our trials. Believe me, brothers and sisters, when you're weeping because of the terrible trials that you're going through in your life, you can be sure that you're being comforted with the spirit of God who is weeping with you, but is bringing with it the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And of course, this is often mentioned, or this is clearly mentioned in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter um, 1. And I'm only going to quote a few verses here. And it says this, Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And I won't go on to get into another passage of Scripture here. I will continue with John chapter 11. And we see here in John chapter 11, Christ weeping and troubled in his spirit. And the Jews say, behold how he loved him. And again, we see that there's unbelief. Couldn't this man that would open the eyes of the blind have caused even that this man should not have died? But Jesus groans in himself as he comes to the grave and he commands the stone to be rolled away and Martha's response is, Lord, by this time he stinketh for he hath been dead four days. But Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus is also wanting us to come to the place in our lives where we have such a moral persuasion in God that every perfect and every good gift comes from the Father of lights, that ultimately God's plan is to enlarge us in the glory of God. The only reason that he allows these trials on those that have already proven to be the deepest lovers of God is that there would be enlargement of God's love in them and the enlargement of many coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And we know what happens here. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The word Lazarus means God is helper. And truly, God is our helper. 
and a very present help in the time of need. Am I saying that there is not tragedies that happen in believers' life where they've lost loved ones? Permanently in this life? Yes. No doubt that has happened. We only have to remind ourselves of the song that says, It is well with my soul, which was written by a man that lost his wife and children that were drowned in a ship that sank. They were coming to visit him in the new land where they are planning to live. I believe that's the case, from what I recall. But God's whole purpose is this, that we would learn to draw from the wells of salvation. Salvation means deliverance. How do we draw from the wells of salvation? when we learn to be receptive to his leading and his guidance with a full persuasion that perseveres through every contradiction to see life brought forth out of that contradiction. The friend of Billy Graham that was a great inspiration to Billy Graham's life was a powerful evangelist as well before Billy Graham became an evangelist. Saw a picture of a magazine and on the magazine was a woman starving to death with her child. And somehow the enemy used that to so affect his mind that he became bitter at God and turned away and said, how could God possibly be a God of love and allow this? And he turned away from faith in God and turned his back on God and quit his evangelism. And that was a great trial in Billy Graham's life because he looked up to this man. But this man fell away from having faith in God because he got his eyes on the consequences of what happens from being cut off from the life of God, the consequences of rebellion, and was trying with his natural mind to grasp how God could allow something like that. He was just looking at the physical realm. He wasn't seeing things from God's perspective. And I could go on to give very good answers. But we're not to lean onto our own understanding, but in all our ways to acknowledge him, to believe him through every contradiction. Because then God, that is Lazarus, which is God is helper will come forth when we cry out and we command him to come forth, not out of ourself, but out of a desire for the glory of God. We will see fruit out of whatever the death experience is that we've gone through. And certainly we can even see our loved ones physically raised from the dead if that's so ordained and we're walking in that place with God. But remember that Abraham and the patriarchs all had to bury their ones that were precious to them. Although there were some like Enoch and Elijah that were translated. John the Baptist was beheaded, and yet he's considered the greatest among men born of women. Considering that there were men like Elijah and Enoch that were translated. 
And so Lazarus comes forth bound hand and foot. And Jesus says, loose him and let him go. And God wants us to come out of the grave clothes in our lives that would bind us from knowing the fullness of his power and his resurrection in our lives. Yes, we were bound in a cocoon, as it were, grave clothes that confined us, that made us feel so helpless. But there is a process of metamorphosis going on in our inner being, being conformed to the image of Christ through those pressures of confinement to bring us forth in resurrection as a butterfly, so to speak. In his time, it says, he does all things well in the Song of Solomon's. And there's a song, you know, that goes like this. In his time, in his time, in his time, all things will be well in his time. And I don't know the exact words or how it goes, but it's a wonderful song. And God is wanting us to come into a relationship of faith and love with him where there's no longer the constraints of death that can be wrapped around us to limit our authority in Christ, where we can rise out of every death experience into a greater resurrection of authority and power to ascend into the heights of fellowship with God. It says that if we keep the Sabbath, spiritually speaking, I'm saying here, says that we will ride in the high places of the earth of the Lord. Yes, we can experience being seated in heavenly places with Christ where we can know his authority ruling in our lives through every circumstance. And if we are called to be martyred like Peter that was crucified upside down and the 12 disciples except John that were martyred, we can look at that circumstance and see beyond it the joy that is set before us as Christ and persevere to bring forth great glory unto God that swallows up the fear of death and brings the glory of God in his time. And it will come. But we also can experience miracles in this present life of being used to raise people from the dead, of being used to see people delivered from the bondages they're in. If we walk in a relationship of unconditional love and trust of God through growing in the fear of God. There's much in this passage. We even see the, the religious rulers of that time, the Pharisees, were threatened by the fact that Christ raised this man from the dead. And we know that there was a teaching in that time that believed there was a suffering Messiah and also a conquering Messiah, but they were expecting the conquering Messiah to come first. How convenient. And many of us... We think that God's going to bring everything great and wonderful and his authority and power into our lives when we have not allowed him to put us through the crucible of testing first. The word of God says that after you have suffered a while, he will strengthen, establish, and settle you. And so 
we see in this case that the high priest Caiaphas, Caiaphas actually prophesied something that totally went against the common mindset of the religious hierarchy. And he was the leader. They were expecting Christ to come in authority and power now. They didn't want the suffering Messiah. They wanted their own kingdom first. But the way of the cross is the way of yieldedness to God, like King David, who did not seek for position or glory, but allowed God to establish him because his delight was in the Lord and in his glory and did not desire the glory of man. But they're threatened because their glory is going to be taken away and their status in the sight of men and people and their security and their wealth instead of being seeking the glory of God. But Caiaphas actually prophesies and says to them that one man will die for the people in relation to Christ. And to think that he said that and that he, Caiaphas, was actually seeking to crucify him makes you wonder if he knew that he had to do that to fulfill God's prophecy. Certainly they did it out of a self-righteousness that allowed them to be like Paul the Apostle that persecuted the Christians out of zeal for God, but it was a zeal that did not know the righteousness of God. I am not going to go into all of that. God is calling us as his people to come to the place of recognizing in this time that he is wanting us to walk in holiness, in purity, and believe him, have that moral persuasion that comes out of the fear of God that causes us to be totally receptive to the goodness of God in the face of what is the exact opposite that seems to be coming from God. Yes, if God was there, he could have helped, but the reason he withdraws himself is because he has a purpose to purify us and to enlarge our relationship with him. And as we persevere, we will see the power of God and we will enter an authority and sonship to tread as never before on every work of the enemy. God bless you. I will leave it at this for this message. Thank you for listening to this message. Look forward to sharing again.